Just a quick review of Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Last week we spoke of uh, again about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that as Paul was entering the city, he ran into believers. These were people who were not, not saved. They were saved. They were brothers and sisters, but they lacked a dynamic power in their life. They lacked the, probably the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as the Lord would have Paul go about, he bumped into people and he'd see things lacking in their lives. And he would, as an apostle, as a brother in Christ, would be gifted by the Lord to go make it so. Amen? And he walked into these people who were lacking the power and the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. And we can go back to last week's message to get into the details of that. But two major aspects are happening in Paul's life as he is going about. And same with Jesus as he's going about. There are just two things that are benchmarks about how Paul operated. Paul operated in two areas, edification and evangelism. Those are the two areas of the Christian life, edification and evangelism. You just, that is who we are as Christians. One part of our life is, is focusing on the body of Christ. That is the people gathering in this room who say that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior and those brothers and sisters who we may bump into around the city or on the other side of the world, whatever it is, the body of Christ, the edification, the building up of the saints. That is part of the work that God has called us to do. Those are the good works that the Lord has called us to do. So that is manifested as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're in relationship with Jesus Christ. He, as we receive life, are going to go and pour that life out to others. So we're going to look at other people's lives and we're going to go, there is a great deficit in that person's life and I have been given the honor and the privilege to go meet that need in the love of the Lord. And for me not to do it would just be crazy. You know what I'm saying? So you're filled with the Spirit. The motive is love, and you go out and meet it. Paul runs into these people. He sees there's something lacking in their life, and he goes, you know what? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Took some discernment there, and they go, you know, no. We didn't didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes, they had it in them. But was it overflowing? Like Paul was used to running into Christians who would have that overflow in their life? No, it was not. And so Paul rectified the situation. He went and baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then he laid hands on them. They received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied, and they had tongues, which were just manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. And so a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to have the fruit of the Spirit, and they're going to have the gifts of the Spirit operating in their life. Paul, part of his life was edification of the body. That's teaching, preaching, to a, edifying, 
uh, exhort, exhortation, encouragement, mercy, all these types of things that we need within the body to be built up to be like Jesus, amen? So he was going around doing that all the time. The other part of Paul's life and the other part of the life of a Christian is evangelism. And so we see here in verses 1 through 7, Paul is immediately edifying. Now in verse 8, evangelism. It says, Now Paul entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Evangelism means to bring good news. You're a bearer of good news. You're a a herald of good news. You are proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Sadly, in a world that loves darkness rather than light, the good news, the gospel that Jesus died, what Terry just spoke of, is not easily accepted. Men love darkness rather than light and thus need to be persuaded, convinced uh, through the Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit to think otherwise, to change, to turn from darkness into light. That is the role of an evangelist, to proclaim the good news in such a way that you persuade people by the power of the Holy Spirit to put their faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, that is also the role of the church. <laughs> Did you not know? Now, there are people who are evangelists, and that is just, it's evident that is their main thrust, their calling. But we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. We're all called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But evangelism, it does mean to bring the good news. And evangelism also does require persuasion, often bold, persistent, long-term persuasion. How many of you are involved in that type of evangelism? Bold, persistent, long-term, back-and-forth conversations with people. This is, um, this kind of brings out, as I'm looking at this, uh, two aspects of what kind of people talk about how, how do we evangelize, and, and we kind of see this, and, and there, one aspect of evangelism, which is reaching, is sharing the gospel with the lost, the good news with the lost, it is relational evangelism. And that means that it's not, uh, there's, two, there's basically two, one I call relational evangelism, one I call mic drop evangelism. And just re- relational evangelism is taking time, getting no- to know people, Uh, answering, dialoguing with people, going back and forth, answering genuine questions, just persuading them through, I would say, through two things, the word and and, and your walk, that Jesus is who he says he is and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they are persuaded to believe, not upon you, but upon who you reflect, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is demonstrating this long-term, kind of three-month relationship with these people, persuading them about the gospel. Now the other is kind of like mic drop evangelism. We're just like, hey, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, I'm out of here. Both are totally relevant. Both are totally needed. We see them demonstrated both in the life of Jesus Christ. There are times when he walked into a room, he proclaimed the gospel, and he wasn't there again. Amen? There's some times when we just need to drop a track, say the gospel, and leave. But most of what we're going to experience in our community and our culture 
Like I said, there's opportunities for airplane conversations and things where you're never going to see someone again. But most of the time, we're developing relationships with people. Paul walks into the city, as was his pattern. He walks into the synagogue, and he starts conversing with people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key, what do I do, Lord, in a situation you run into someone? Is there a hunger for more? Are they hungering for more? Do they want more answers, or are you simply just there to deliver part of a chain of something what the Lord might do in their lives? How many of you have been part of one or the other of those situations? How many people have been able at the very end of of a great chain and been able to bring someone to Jesus Christ when the foundation has been laid by a thousand different conversations or a long term relationship by the by someone else? I mean, I think of you know uh, Christine with one of her friends. Years of just hanging out and talking and, and, and all those types of things. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get a phone call. You know, hey, I received the Lord as my Savior. We're like, ah, that's so cool. God is so good how he works within the body. You know, so there's, there's different ways. And the, the key to ask as, I am, as I'm engaged in these conversations is, is, is this, is this require follow-up, Lord? Do you want me to follow up? Is this a long-term situation? Is this someone I'm going to be working with? Or is this a situation like on an airplane where I just know I've got to, I've got to give the gospel? But regardless of what goes on, and I think this is where the tension is, the gospel has to be shared. At some point, sometime. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with when does that happen? How does that work? What does that look like? Um, I'm working with someone, and I, I kind of just open the door for God. Things are not really talking about it, but I just, I'm, I've got this, I need to share Jesus, and how does that look? We need to pray for boldness, and Paul's going to talk about that, but there is two things that are our witness to the world. One is our walk, and one is our words, and they don't exclude each other. They, they go hand in hand. Sometimes our walk is more of our witness than our words, and sometimes our words are more than a witness than our walk. And we just need to be open to the Holy Spirit about how he wants to use those things. Paul chose to get into this place and share the good news, and notice he was arguing persuasively. How many of you think that evangelism involves arguing persuasively? No, it's all about cookies and unicorns. There are some really highly intelligent people that are not going to take a cookie-cutter answer. They have really deep questions, profound questions, things that have happened to them and their families. And um, no doubt, Paul is going back to the Old Testament. They're going, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Month upon month, about month, month. And he's just Going back, he says, well, the scriptures say this, and this is how it came about. And he was a student of the word. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was living it out, and God gave him, and he's just talking to him, and, and the water's flowing out onto other people, right? Some people don't like to get wet, as we were talking about last week. That anointing of the Holy Spirit was pouring out upon other people. The gospel was flowing from his life, torrents of living water, as he was answering questions and arguing. And I would say respectful argument, not uh, you know, degrading people. No, there's there's an, a way to be passionate about things and, and yet be humble. We see that in Jesus. Was he not someone who was fearlessly proclaiming the gospel and yet he and he he did it in a way that drew people to him or or away? 
Is it okay to share the gospel and then have people not like you anymore? Are you sure about that? Do you have to be friends with everybody on earth? What happens when they reject you? What happens when they don't like you for that? We want to make sure that they're not liking us, not because we're mean, but because we're his. But we'll hit those things in a second. In this, time, in this case, Paul needed to take time to explain and persuade people to the good news according to the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. Also notice Paul's audience. Who is he talking to? Where is he? How many, what percent of atheists do you think Jesus was talking to? What percent of the world are atheists? We might have a bigger section here. Most people are religious in some way or another. Who do you think your audience is going to be in general? People who know something about God, have some kind of religious background, have some kind of religious influence. Don't assume because someone goes to church that they're saved. Don't assume because someone has, you know, religious title or they've done this or have this degree that they're, that they're born-again believers. Don't assume that. I always find out, you know, I don't just ask what church you go to. So where's the fruit? Where's the life? Where's the, where's, where, where's Jesus in there? Do you have a good understanding of the gospel? Is that, is that not just a mental understanding, but is that living out in your life? Is his life there? You know? Paul was talking to Jews who knew the Bible inside and out, debated them vigorously to show them that their religiosity was not it. That actually everything they believed in was pointing to Christ in that Jewish context. So don't be afraid to share with Religious people, don't think because people go to church and are religious and all that, that all is good. As we're going to see in a minute, the gospel is not one way, it's the way. Also notice that evangelism sometimes requires intense debate. Paul is defending and proclaiming the gospel. You're going to get attacked. What you believe is going to be challenged. They're going to say, show me, or you are full of it, or I don't think so, I see it this way. And it is up to you to be able to go to the scriptures, to be able to go to your brothers and sisters and say, I didn't know the answer to this. What is it? And why do we believe this? And is it true to be a Berean? Amen? There are many times in conversations with people that I I don't know the answer. I know you're surprised. (laughs) I really don't. And I have to pray and seek and ask the Lord, and quite often he'll answer me through another person, a brother or sister, as I'm in my study with him, what it might be. But notice Paul, Paul is defending and proclaiming the gospel, but it all flew out of, he, he knew the Jesus he proclaimed. He knew him. He was in a personal relationship with him. Paul was a student of the word from which his persuasion was based. He wasn't saying, well, Dr. Laura said, or Barna Research says. He's saying, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, the Lord said, Jesus said, when I'm talking with people, when I'm sharing evangelism, I always bring them back to what Jesus said. The sword, just like what Dr. Mal, uh, Walter Martin said. He says, here, when you're evangelizing with someone, he says, take out the sword, 
place the sword in front of them and let them fall on it. <laughs> I love that. Read this. Words in red. Very powerful. But Paul was a student of the word, uh, which his persuasion was based on. And, you know, how do you, how do you become a student of the word? I think quite often being challenged in daily life, what do I really believe? That's a great opportunity for us to grow. We're not expected to know everything. Do you think the apostles knew everything on day one? I think they were figuring a lot out as they went and trying to get wisdom as they went and run up against opposition and had a prayer meeting and go, God, what do I do in this situation? And the Lord, through the Spirit, through the church, comes around, gathers, encourages, empowers, gives a word, and then they go out. Amen. So Paul was also full of the Holy Spirit, and we see this because he, was, he spoke boldly. How many of you feel like, man, I'm just not a bold proclaimer of the gospel? It's cool when you're here around the choir, right? When you get out there, it's a, it's a little different. I feel, I feel the same way, but we see Paul spoke boldly. You know, this was Paul's prayer request. Did you know Paul asked the church to pray that he would be bold? What does that tell you? That he wasn't. His tendency was what? Run away. Don't say that. I know this is going to make a man, so I'm just not going to say it, even though it's the truth and it will set them free. Ephesians 6.19, he says, Pray for me also that, wherever, that uh, whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly Let's boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, the gospel. Paul had prayer requests that he would be bold. How many of you need that prayer? Yeah, me too, me too. Many of us are timid, like Timothy, and fearful when proclaiming the gospel at times. You know, I am too. You know, when we, I gave out tracts at that, what is it, G-O-T-R thing that went on. I was, I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to go do it. Bunch of lost people going, I don't know, I, you know, there's people coming in from nowhere. I'm just going to give people tracks. And I, it was just so funny. I, I would care what these people who don't even care about me really think about me. As I'm walking down the street, I just start handing it. I'm like, I am such a goober for Jesus. I'm like, here, I said, God bless you. Jesus loves you. I just hand a track. I'm like, I am so stupid. I am so stupid. I am so stupid. The whole time. This is your pastor. <laughs> I am not like, you know, thus saith the Lord, making paper airplanes out of tracks and throwing at them, you know. It's like, no, I'm like, oh, maybe not. I'm not going to do that person, you know. So finally, you know, I'm, let's just say a lot of people younger than me got tracks. <laughs> Anyone's, I know, I'm embarrassed, you know, but I need boldness. Anybody need boldness in sharing their faith? I know, tracks, you know, and then, and then people are like, you know, you're giving tracks. Tracks are stupid. God can't work through tracks. I'm like, I know, I know. Anyone? You what? Praise Jesus. It works. It's the only way people get saved, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whatever God lays in your hat, uh, on, your, on, your, on your track, whether it's street evangelism, whether it's at, at work and long-term hanging out with people, whether it is just on an airplane just given a word, whether it's just going, you know, here's a track. I am so fearful. Say anything. You just hand it to him. Run away. You know what I mean? 
Whatever it is. Paul asked for prayer that he may be bold. Giving out tracts, he made prayer requests and step out on obedience. Evangelism is about obedience. It's never going to be like you feel like it. It's like going to the gym or eating well, all these things that I will not talk to you about. But you know what I'm saying? It's obedience, and it's, and as we, what makes your evangelism powerful, what makes your, your witness awesome, is that you behold his glory, is that you are in love, you are a lover of Jesus Christ, and that you spend time with him, hearing from him, seeking him, praying, asking, just delighting in him, not to say that it's just one thing. It is throughout our, our whole day. But I mean, is he Lord? Is he your delight? Is he that king who died and, and is taking your hand and walking you through daily life? Is that, is that what captivates you? That's what it means to be a Christian. You're captivated by Christ. He's Lord. He's the allure. And, and, and that's a battle that we all have. And that is what the most powerful witness is because he says, you abide in me, let my words and abide in you and your joy will be complete. You'll ask what you want and you'll get it and all these great things. But also, you'll have fruit in the overflow. Witnessing isn't going to be such a hard thing because it's going to flow from who you are and who he is, not something on a page. And so, all these things, prayer, witness, word, fellowship, they all flow from just, is Jesus Lord? Paul is doing that we're called to evangelize, 2 Corinthians 5.18, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. You are called to reconcile people to God. That is a heavy, high calling. Isn't that awesome? That God would entrust you with something so valuable. And you're going like, Terry, don't you see the list, Lord? Don't you see the list? He says, no, I don't. It's gone. But I see you as a son. I see you as a daughter. And I know that I have my Holy Spirit. And my son is living inside of you. And I just want to unleash him. So walk out, step out in faith. Let him live. You know, Jesus commands us to go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And I kind of paraphrase that. But the key at the end of that, aren't you nervous about the command? You know what you're supposed to do. I like the love part, Lord. I like hanging out with people, but not telling people about it. But that's why he says, behold, I'm with you always. I'm with you, even to the end of the age. No matter what goes on, I'm with you. Disciples must have gone, I'm going to go into some heavy, heavy, heavy situations where people are not going to like me. And Jesus wanted them to know, I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Do you know the Lord's with you? He's with you. Praise the Lord. So Paul was pressing people for a decision based upon the truth he was proclaiming. He was pressing. That's what evangelism is. Persuasion. Come on! You gotta believe Jesus, you know, and he's just laying out all the reasons. The idea that Paul is full of the Holy Spirit, he's full 
of the scriptures and he's fully trying to persuade people away from eternal separation from God to eternal life. And that's a debate worth having. That is a debate worth having. Amen? 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 Boldly, intensely. So let me ask, is everybody like you when you are saying, when you're sharing the gospel with them? No. Verse 9, But some of them became obstinate and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And so some, not all, became hardened to the gospel and they maligned or spoke evil of the way. The way? Why was it? The, it wasn't called the, of Christians. It was called the way then. Why was it called the way? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That means that every other way no matter what you want to call it or what banner it flies under, Protestant, Evangelical, Catholic, Muslim, Hindu, whatever you want to do, whatever banner you want to put it under, there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. It is exclusively through Jesus Christ. But let me say this that Jesus desires to include all. Include all. All are invited. All are invited. So much so that Jesus says that he said, he tells a parable and he goes, he sets up a banquet table and he invites all the people who are supposed to be there. And the people say, you know, I'm busy. I got, I got too much stuff going on in my life. I can't be there. I can't hang out with you. Sorry, not going to be there. And the king got really indignant. He got really upset and frustrated that people would not receive his benevolence, would not receive this free gift. And so what did he do? He ordered his servants. He said, I want you to do is I want you to go out. He says, forget those those people. Go out to the peasants. Go out to the people in wheelchairs. Go out to the handicapped. Go Go out to the lame. Go out to the outsiders and go grab them. And they came And they fill the place. And you know what? There's more room. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. God wants to include, but there's only one way in the door to the banquet, and it's through Jesus Christ. So Peter proclaimed that same thing in Acts. It's the salvation is found in no one else. Acts 4.12. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The way is not a way, it is the way. Jesus is the only way a person can be saved. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but the small, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And Jesus would go on to say that he is that gate, right, in John? And so Paul was debating that Jesus was the only way, and they didn't like it. How many of you feel frustrated with that? You know, a little bit kind of like, wow, that's like a narrow message. What do I do with a friend who is this or this or that? You give him Jesus. And that's it. You give him Jesus. And sometimes you have to relentlessly persuade them and use wisdom in that, by the way. So Paul is debating that Jesus was the only way and they didn't like it. 
And, you know, Paul experienced verbal. He was maligned, right? And the way was maligned. And even physical persecution can be expected at times. Jesus spoke to this directly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed, oh, how happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Paul shared the gospel, he shared in the rejection that Christ experienced and also he shared in the joy and he also is going to share in the reward. It's all wrapped up. It's no coincidence that Jesus went right on in Matthew chapter 5, 13, speaking to the t- temptation to shy away from proclaiming the gospel in the midst of uh, rejection by men. And he said in the beginning of verse 13, Matthew 5, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You just got to the sun. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. And then he starts saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? How many of you going like, mm, maybe, not so salty lately? Anyone? Yeah. How can it be made salt again? It's no longer good for anything, which tells you that salt has a purpose. And he just said, you're the salt. And your purpose is to go get out there and do what salt does. And we know the picture of salt, that it disinfects, and it also does a lot of other things, preserves. It says, but he goes on and says, it's no longer good for anything except to be trampled underfoot. You know, our life is meant to impact in a disinfecting way the people who are dying and rejecting Jesus. We are meant to be salt in their lives. Salt does not feel good in wounds, does it? But what it did was what? It killed bacteria. It killed infection. And that's what Jesus does. He was salt to our wound, was he not? And he is salt to our wounds. And that's quite often how he heals us, and it's painful sometimes. But he goes on. He says, you're salt. Great. This is in verse 14, and you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light sh- shine before men, that others may see your good deeds and glorify your, your Father in heaven. So the example of our walk, the light of our walk, is a witness to the world that would point Jesus, people to Jesus. The greatest deeds, the greatest of love, Jesus would say, is laying down your life for the gospel so that others might live. Realize that when you contend with others, uh, realize that when you contend with others for the faith, that it is a laying down of your life. It's a laying down of my comfort, of my will, of my city, my kingdom, and going down and leaving that so that someone else might have life. That's what Jesus did, right? So what kingdom do you have to leave so that others might live? What things is the Lord asking you to do that might make you lose the accoutrements of of heaven, your own kingdom, that others might live? What does that look like at work? What does that look like in your family? What does that look like 
whatever the Holy Spirit's doing, amen? Are we willing to suffer is the question. You know, suffer, not, you know, I mean, just suffering is so, you know, we don't suffer very much. But are we willing to have that heart of Christ that's willing to give up what we want for the gospel? That's the heart of it. John fifteen eighteen, Jesus says to us, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. They don't like you. They don't like him. They don't like the message. They don't like the messenger. Jesus wants you to know that. I find it interesting that Franklin Graham put that on his, his thing this week about what happened in Oregon, you know, where the gunman walks in and says, are you a Christian? You know, every, you know stand up, state your religion. If you're a Christian, shot you in the head. And if not, and shot you in the leg. Horrible. Horrible. You know? For our dear brothers and sisters, you know, who died, they stood with Jesus. They didn't know that that was their day. They stood. Um, are you Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Boom, you're gone. You know what? No, they're not. They're at his hand right now. Jesus said, what? Blessed are you. You will receive a what? Reward. And where's the reward? He says, it's with me. Their treasure was with him. And let me tell you, what they're experiencing now far outweighs the life on this earth. I'm not devouring their life now, but what I'm saying is that Jesus, he's got them. And we're living in a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel, hostile to Christianity. And the world's going to tell you to be quiet. The world's going to tell you to be PC. The world's going to tell you to be quiet on everything. And Jesus says, you know what? You are either salt and you are light or you are no good or you are darkness. I've created you. I've pulled you out of the darkness to be salt in your workplace, around your people. You are the salt. If you don't know anybody else's around you, guess what you're at? You're the salt. You are the light of your neighborhood. You are the salt of your neighborhood. Jesus has placed you there. He's placed you in your workplace. When you're sick and you're in the hospital, guess what? You are the salt and you are the light to those nurses and doctors. You are it. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, you are the salt and light. Do not lose your salt. Do not lose your light. How do I do that? You abide. You abide. You make Jesus your home. Like we could go on and talk about ISIS and all these other things that are going on. You know, today I think after church we should pray, you know, for the families and we should pray for also, you know, the persecuted church and pray for our, our salt and our light, amen? Do you expect the world to agree with you? As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke six twenty six, is woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how the, their, their ancestors treated the false prophets. I'm not saying that we are purposefully antagonistic. That is not what we're talking about. But by the nature of light and darkness and salt and wounds, something's going to happen. And that's why Jesus says you're going to be persecuted. Amen?
And I think the thing that we struggle with is I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause disruption. I don't want to, I don't want to. And the enemy is saying, don't say anything. Don't do it. These things are going to happen. You're going to get hurt. Your family's not going to be liked. Your people are going to say stuff about you. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be, you know, just, just be quiet. It's just, just go along. Take the wide road. It's nice. Take the road without scars. Take the road without suffering. Take the road without losing land and jobs and family and whatever it might be. Take that road. It is just while people go to hell. The enemy is powerful, but let me tell you, Jesus Christ, he is alive. And he's alive in his church. You are the plan. I am miserable out there handing out tracts, but you guys, you are awesome. Do you know how many people you represent? How many people are lost within your circle? How many people need the gospel of Jesus Christ? And like was said earlier, it's not up to how eloquent or how wonderful or how persuasive, whether you're an Apollos or a Paul, it's just up to you hanging out with Jesus and just living and speaking his life. And he just does it in and through you. Amen? So Paul contended with them for three months. And there came a time, listen to this, when it was not profitable to continue because of the hardness of their heart. And so verse 9, this is also important. We'll close here. And so Paul left them. Do you know there's a time when it's okay to just cut it off and say it's in the Lord's hands? It became contentious and God's name started to be maligned and it just became a place where it was like, you know what? Let's move on. It's okay when people's hearts are so hard towards Jesus that you move on. And we're seeing this. It's okay. And notice he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So they went and rented a school. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it's interesting in that culture when Paul was witnessing. In that culture, what would happen in the morning is they would work really early to about 11 o'clock, got really hot, and so what did they do? Is they shut down to around 5 o'clock. And then around 5 to 9.30, they'd work again. And so there's this gap in the middle of the day. <laughs> Paul's out there teaching. People are coming. The Bible study is midday. And then after Paul got at work at night, uh, at work at night, because he was a tent maker, right? They would be, at, they would be having Bible studies and fellowship and prayer meetings and all these things were going on at night, daily. That's tremendous dedication on the part of Paul. That's also de- tremendous dedication on the part of the people to the word of the Lord. And what was the result? Everybody knew the word. Like, not just talking about the people who were in that building. It spread. Because why? It spread through the people. It spread through you. Why is the word of God so important? Well, are we just trying to get Bible knowledge this morning? Why do we meet? To glorify God. What glorifies God? Edifying one another in evangelism, I tell you that. That's the heart of Jesus. In our church is ripe 
for evangelism. Our church is ripe for you to allow the Lord just to, Lord, break it down. Let me suffer. Here we go. And just trust him. Entrust your life to him. And what's great is as you walk out and you don't know the answer, guess who gets to come alongside you and help you meet those needs within the church? The teachers start to raise up. Not the mats, the teachers. And as people are getting slaughtered out there, as people are feeling like they're losing their jobs and all these types of things, guess who gets raised up within the church? Encouragers. People with the gift of mercy. People with the gift of giving. The body starts functioning to support the gospel going forward, and it's all about the gospel. That's how love is shown. So look at these examples. Look at this life. This isn't just to have Bible knowledge, but we got to live this out, amen? And it starts with us desiring and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's do that. Father, um, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for these verses. And we, we ask for just that we wouldn't be afraid of people. We wouldn't be afraid of people who disagree. We wouldn't be afraid of people not liking us and rejection. Lord, help us to put that on the cross. And Lord, above all, help that your delight in us would, would circumvent, would just override all those other emotions. And that seeing a smile on your face hearing at the end of our lives, well done, with whatever you've given us, whether it be one talent or ten, Lord, that that would be our goal and our desire to bring you joy, to bring you glory, to proclaim your kingdom, to say there's good news, world, to share the light in darkness. There's a lot of darkness, Lord. And I pray, Lord, uh, just for a super just anointing upon your people in here. That you just fill us with your Holy Spirit. That your kingdom would come. Your vision would go forward. Your vision is for the lost. And they're all around us. The, the wheat, the harvest, uh, the wheat, the fields are uh, white with harvest. Your word says that they're, they're ready. And they just need laborers to go in. So send us, Lord, as we walk out that door, that's our mission field. As we walk in and clock in on Monday morning, that is our mission field. As we go into our homes and see our kids, it's our mission field. Here we are, Lord, send us. In the name of Jesus, amen.